Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So, uh, episode 11, uh, social distancing edition. Uh, we are doing something new today with the podcast. Uh, Chase and I are not at the same table like we usually are, but we are uh, broadcasting together over the internet. Yeah, we are apart, um, although we only live probably, what, four or five miles apart from each other, but to be safe, we are trying to stay away from each other as much as we possibly can. So this is happening via a, a application called Zoom. So if there's any staticky thing or, you know, some type of lag we apologize for that lord willing when this coronavirus clears out we'll get to be back in person and it'll be a little bit smoother of a podcast yes but we don't want to leave you hanging on what happens in the gospel of mark so we're going to press on uh, into mark chapter 10 today if you're following along in your bibles and uh in chapter 9 we had these portraits of unbelief or partial belief uh jesus is transfigured but there's some confusion about what that means the disciples tried to cast out a demon and couldn't perhaps because they weren't praying about it. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection a second time, and the disciples are immediately arguing over who's the greatest. And then there's a discussion over causing other people to stumble, um, in particular by pushing people out, even though they're following Jesus, but not following your particular group. So we're going to see Jesus coming uh, into Judea, or we've not seen him a whole lot in the Gospel of Mark. He's kind of marching toward Jerusalem, and we're getting toward the end here of Jesus' ministry, and he's going to have a lot of things to say about humility and greatness in chapter 10. So let's read together uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, Chase, do you want to read for us verses 1 through 12? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. So Jesus gives some very strong teaching at the beginning of this chapter. Again, he's coming to Judea and the area of beyond the Jordan uh, over on the east shore. And the crowds are gathering, but it's on this occasion that the Pharisees try to test him again. And they ask him a pretty touchy question about marriage and divorce. Yeah. And what is their question? Yeah, I mean, just as touchy as this subject is today, it was touchy back then. And their question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, is the way Matthew's account words it. You know, 
basically they're asking, can I just divorce my husband or divorce my wife for any old reason at all? Does it really matter if, I, if I'm tired of her cooking, if I'm tired of the way that he looks or the way that he talks? Can I just get rid of them and divorce them? And, and it's Jesus, a really good question. That's right. And Jesus' answer is very direct from Scripture. Um, he first asks them, what did Moses command you? So he said, go back yeah. to the law. And they go to the law, but they go to kind of a later point in the law. They, they quote from Deuteronomy 24 and say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And that was a little bit of a misinterpretation of Deuteronomy 24, which was a very specific scenario in the law. We won't get into all that right now. But it was never God's ideal for, well, as long as you got the paper, you can divorce them. Uh, that was a little bit of an oversimplification and a misapplication of that specific law in Deuteronomy 24. And Jesus takes them all the way back to the beginning of the, the books of law, so to speak, the law of Moses. He goes back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And he clarifies, that, listen, Moses wrote that to you because your hearts were hard and he knew you were going to get yourselves in tough situations. So he had to write a law dealing with divorce. But that didn't mean that God approves of divorce. And when God created man and woman, he said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So this one flesh relationship, what God has joined together, he says, the two are one, let no man separate. Jesus is very clear here. And it also gives us some insight on how Jesus viewed the Old Testament, specifically creation. Jesus believed it to be true and real. Uh, we'll later learn in the New Testament that Jesus was there at creation. And so he knows what God's will is for that. And this is a, something we need to practice in our own lives as well. It's a man and a woman. And that rules out anything else outside of that. Not only is it just for a man and a woman, but it's meant to be for your entire life. Okay, so you pick two things that are countercultural. What are they going to be? The Bible's teaching on homosexuality and the Bible's teaching on what divorce is really for. That's right. And Jesus addresses both of those. We're not left guessing, oh, I wonder what Jesus would have said. He told us. That's absolutely right. And again, this teaching is unpopular right now, but that doesn't make it any less needed or any less biblical. And it was unpopular in Jesus' day. Uh, we have a little more detail in Matthew's account. The disciples are blown away by what Jesus says about this and his high standard for marriage. Um, here, they did ask him about this in the house afterwards. So it did spark some more discussion afterwards. And we see that happen from time to time. And um, Jesus says specifically, he's even more clear with the disciples. He says in verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another is doing what? Committing Commit adultery. Committing adultery. It's not your, they're not your, your lawful spouse. And so to, to divorce and then to remarry would be committing adultery. And living in adultery is the idea. Um, and he repeats it. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So same for husband and wife here. And that is a, a tall order, and we have to just take Jesus at his word here. God created marriage. He created marriage to be good, and he gives some very specific and very strict rules about marriage here for our good and for our protection. Yeah, very good. Well, um, 
think this would be a good opportunity to go ahead and move on to the next section, uh, but this is some heavy stuff to consider. Uh, Stephen, do you want to take verses 13 through 16? Sure. Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Wait a second, this, this kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. He used a child as an example of greatness in the kingdom uh, back in chapter 9, where he took a child in chapter 9, verse 36, and put the child in the midst and says, you got to receive, receive this child uh, if you want to receive the kingdom. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus is trying to get a point across. <laughs> what, what do we do when we're trying to teach our kids something or get something in someone's head or, or what my wife has to do to me in order to remember something? Repeat it over and over and over again. And we're kind of in this repeating section. I'm spoiling it. And a little bit, uh, we're going to read about Jesus telling them yet again that he is going to die and that he is going to be specifically crucified. And then he is going to rise again. That'll be the third time. And here is the second time that he's telling them, look at these children as an example. And I think that's really powerful. That's right. And what we're going to see also in this chapter is a repeated theme of the exalted being humbled and the humble being exalted. The Pharisees came to him. They were the exalted group with this question about divorce. And Jesus humbled them with a, an answer from the very beginning of God's word. Now these children who would have been treated kind of lesser, women and children were not well regarded in the early, in the first century. And Jesus says, no, let them come to me. They're not wasting my time. <laughs> you know, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you're not going to enter it at all. And so he takes the children in his arms and blesses them. And I think that would have been a surprising thing for a, 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 an esteemed rabbi to be using his time for these children. And so the exalted Pharisees were humbled, and now the lowly children are exalted and made the example of the kingdom of heaven. Which leads right into this next story of what's going to look like the poster child of the kingdom coming to Jesus. Um, so let's read uh, verse 17. Uh, let's go ahead and read down to verse 31. Um, you got that, Chase? Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So, so here's a man who comes up to Jesus, and he has a question for Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, that's a good question. That's that a great a, question. Yeah, I mean, I, I often phrase it like this. If you had one question to ask Jesus, you know, I think you're either going to ask this, or as we'll see later in Mark 12, somebody asking, what's the most important commandment? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really good question. That's right. And... Jesus, first of all, calls his attention to, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And he doesn't really continue on that, but he's kind of making this guy think about who he's talking to, which the man seems to have faith. But he goes on to say, you know the commandments, and he quotes several of the Ten Commandments. And, of course, the guy's like, yeah, I've kept this from my youth. I'm good to go on that front. And I love verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus loves him and then tells him what he needs to hear. And that's hard for our culture to understand right now is people think that love is just telling people whatever they want to hear, always approving of them no matter what. But Jesus loves this young man by telling him the one thing that he lacked. And what's the guy's reaction? He would not do it. He was grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And so this gives way to this discussion of, wow, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I mean, just being real for for a second, as Americans, uh, this is sobering for me to read. We are so rich when you look at the world and we don't even realize how rich we are. And so this is a warning for us uh, in that we need to be so careful that our possessions do not get a hold of our heart. This is a kind of a famous thing. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's it's not saying it's impossible, but it is saying it is very, very difficult. All right. All things are possible with God. So he's not saying yeah. it's impossible. And I, I get appreciate Peter here. Uh, he pipes up and says, hey, Lord, we, we've left everything. I think the idea is, you know, we've become poor. Like we've left our house and all we did this. It. Yeah, we're, we're here. This. And Jesus says, that's good. And, you know, you're going to receive so much more. I think the, the uh, brothers and sisters and houses and things that he talks about here is what we receive in the body of Christ. If we leave family for Jesus, we gain family in 
the family of the church and the family of Jesus. If we leave houses, people take us into their homes. Um, the outcasts find belonging in the body of Jesus. And he ends by saying, and in the age to come, eternal life. So it's kind of cool how this comes full circle. The original question the guy asked was, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus is like, you need to leave everything and follow me. And then you will, in the age to come, you'll have eternal life. And Jesus ends on this principle that we see over and over in this chapter. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And this story is about, here's a man who looks like he's first. And Jesus puts him last by revealing the greed and materialism in his heart. You know, when we're faced with Jesus, this is a big lesson we need to pull out of this. And as we've been reading through Mark and we're learning more and more about Jesus, is that God, he expects a lot from us. In specific, Jesus Christ, he is going to look for that one thing that you lack. And we need to ask ourselves, what am I lacking? When I come to give my life to the Lord, what is that one thing in the back of my head I'm saying, I don't really want to let go of that. Whatever that is, we need to fix that. And we need to get it right. That is a problem. And we have to just be honest with ourselves. It's interesting to me that this man seems to know that there's something in his life that's going on. And that's why he asked Jesus these questions because he was already doing the commandments, but Jesus knew his heart. And so he tells him, okay, here's the one thing you like. If you really want to be serious about this, sell it you have and give it to the poor. So we've had the uh, exalted Pharisees humbled. We've had the lowly children exalted. Now we've had this rich young man, a keeper of the law humbled. And now we're going to see um, the next step in this process, verse 32 through, actually we'll go ahead and read on down through um, verse 45 here. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you 
must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, so we've been repeating it over and over again. Chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and now chapter 10, verse 32. We missed it just barely. But Jesus is going to warn and tell his disciples that he is going to die. And, um, of course, they're still not getting it. There's this theme throughout the book of Mark of hardness of heart. When the disciples still seeing men like trees walking. And Jesus tells them more specifically here that he is going to be mocked, spat upon, scourged, and then killed in three days later, rise again. So he gets more specific. But the conversation just kind of keeps going. James and John have to say what they want to say. But uh, wow, Jesus has been specific about his death. And that tells us he is a prophet. He is prophesying what specifically is going to happen to him. And as we'll learn later in Mark, that's exactly what happened. Yes. And again, this continues with our theme. Of Jesus is the king. He's the Christ. And he's going to be humbled. But then three days later, he is going to rise. He's going to be glorified. And the disciples are just totally missing the message of the kingdom at this point. They don't understand what it means to have a crucified Christ. This is the same mistake Peter made two chapters ago when he was like, you're the Christ. And then immediately when Jesus said he was going to die, he pulls him aside and says, no, no, that's not going to happen to you. The disciples don't understand what greatness in the kingdom means. And so James and John, the sons of thunder, come to Jesus and they're like, hey, we want you to do whatever we want. And Jesus says, well, what do you want? And they, so to speak, they call shotgun. We, we want the right hand and the left hand. Those are the positions of honor at a feast or in the kingdom. If you sit at the right and left hand of the king, then like you're his right hand and left hand guys. And that's the position that they want in the kingdom. You know, I, every time I read this, I think about you, you can't help but like the parent and child relationship. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'd be like, hey, dad, dad, can I go to work with you? Dad, dad, can, can I go to work with you? And there would come a day in the summer, you know, when I was off school, where would say, yeah, sure, you can go to work with me. And it's fun for a little bit. But then, man, it is just boring as all get out. I did not know what I was volunteering for. I wanted to go be like dad, but I didn't realize what all it would take to be like dad. And I realized that that's not a perfect analogy, but that is kind of what's going on here. They are trying, they want to be like Jesus. They want to go with him. They want to be on his right and his left for, I think, some prideful reasons, but they don't understand what that means. And that's exactly what Jesus says to him. He says, guys, you don't know what you're asking. You're not going to be able to drink the same cup that I'm drinking. And you're not going to be able to be baptized with the baptism, which I'm baptized, which I think the idea there is the, the baptism of trial and the cup of God's wrath that Jesus is going to be taking on in the crucifixion and the suffering that he's going to have to go through. But Jesus does say, you are going to go through some trial. You will go through some similar things. But to sit on my right and my left, that's not up to me to give you. That's up to God, not me. Right. Because Jesus does say, I mean, you're going to drink the cup that I drink. Like you don't, right. They probably have in mind this idea of like a royal chalice in his hand that he's drinking from. Yeah. And he's like, no, this is a cup of suffering that I'm going to drink. It's a baptism of suffering. I'm going to be plunged into suffering is kind of the idea, immersed in suffering. He says, you're going to end up suffering for me. But listen, my right hand to left hand, that's not even mine to grant. Um, it's for those who it's been prepared for. What's interesting to me is in verse 41, after James and John call shotgun, the 10 are mad at them. 
uh, it's not just that these two didn't get it. The whole 12 of them didn't get it. And when James and John want the, the, the top spots, the other 10 are frustrated and mad at them because they want the top spots too. So just like he did in chapter nine, he says, okay, guys, time out, powwow. We need to have a talk right now. This is what he does again. Verse 42, he calls them to him and says to them, it's like, okay, here's what we need to do. And he says, out in the world, among the Gentiles, their great ones lorded over them. They're just power wielding and power hungry. That's how it is in the world. It's a dog eat dog world. But in verse 43, he says, it shall not be so among you. God's kingdom is different from the kingdoms of men, and they can't keep thinking in these worldly ways if they're going to function as leaders in God's kingdom. If you want to be great, the way up is down. Whoever's going to be great among you must be your servant. If you want to be first, you have to be the slave of everybody. And he, Jesus himself, is the example. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the message of the kingdom. If you want to be great, you are on the floor with the towel. Yeah. And Jesus, I see his, his frustration here. We're in the third year. You know, we're, we're getting toward the end, and you guys are still arguing about this kind of thing. Guys, you all can easily look out at the Gentiles and say, yeah, we don't like them. Figure it out. Realize that it can't be that way even amongst yourselves. And then I think it's just kind of like the mic drop. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm your master. I'm your leader. I don't even act this way. What makes you think that you should be acting this way? And he's just trying to get them to realize this is not your purpose. Your purpose is to be a servant. Start thinking like a servant. What can you do to serve each other? And that, that's the application for us. We need to start thinking less like we're a somebody and start thinking like we're a servant. And put others' needs ahead of our own. I mean, Jesus was on the servant leadership train way before corporate America got got on on that that train of thought. Yes. And it it is the way to lead, to lead by example and to lead by realizing that if you are in a position of authority and influence, it is your job to serve people and to do what is best for them. It's not about getting my way. It's not about wielding the power or getting the honor and the prestige. It is about sacrificing yourself for other people. This is true in marriage. This is true in the workplace. This is true in the church. It's not about grabbing for the top spot. And so Jesus here, in all really all three of these times where he has predicted his death, he is then having to back up and say, listen, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. And if you want to be great, you have to die to yourself, chapter 8. And then in chapter nine, that's when he takes the child and puts him in the midst of them because they were arguing about who is the greatest. He said, you've got to think like a child if you're going to do this. And now in this chapter, he says, listen, don't be like the world. You've got to humble yourself and be a servant, just like me, the son of man. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and uh, knock out this last section here. We're going to read Mark 10 verses 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So this sounds a lot like the encounter with the children earlier in the chapter, where someone lowly is coming to Jesus, and the reaction of the disciples is, ah, get away, you're not worth the time of the teacher. But Jesus is the one who says, hey, call him, have him come here. And so here, it's a blind man named Bartimaeus. Uh, Bar means son of, his dad's name is Timaeus, so his name literally means son of Timaeus, <laughs> Bar Timaeus. And People are telling him to be quiet, but he's crying out, and it's interesting how he refers to Jesus here. He says, Jesus, son of David. He recognizes the prophecies about David and the one who's going to sit on David's throne, and so he addresses Jesus by that prophetic name, the son of David, showing his faith. And it's interesting to me also that when he gets up, he throws off his cloak. That would have been one of his only treasured possessions. But now he's going to Jesus and he just throws his cloak off and he comes to Jesus. And here Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Kind of like he, James and John ask Jesus, hey, would you do something for us? And he's like, what do you want? But now Jesus is ask, asking him. Yeah. And I mean, put yourselves in the shoes of the blind man. It's like, well, what do you mean? What do you want me to do for you? You know, I want to have my, my, my sight back. But of course, I think Jesus, he asks these types of questions, and we see him do this a lot, where I don't think Jesus is playing dumb, but he is, he's trying to engage them in dialogue. He's trying to get them to think through what it is they really want and what they really need from Jesus. And of course, the blind man, he answers it. I want to regain my sight. Yes, and he says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. We see here, that Jesus has no trouble healing blind men in one step. Um, he heals the blind man in two steps in chapter eight for a purpose. But here, immediately Bartimaeus can see, and he begins following Jesus. And you think about this as a contrast to the other examples in the chapter. Here, a humble blind man is given the thing that he wants most from Jesus. He's given his sight back. And instead of going away sorrowful like the rich young man, he is, I'm assuming, joyfully following Jesus and going with him. He doesn't go a separate way. So in this whole chapter, when you put it together, the Pharisees, they're exalted, and Jesus brings them down. The humble children come to Jesus, they're exalted. This rich man who's keeping the law is humbled. Jesus himself is going to be humbled and then exalted. James and John want the top spots, but they are humbled. And now this poor beggar, this blind man, is he's humbled at the beginning and then he is exalted by being given his sight. Yeah. So over and That's over, really cool. the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That's the principle of the kingdom. How cool. Next week, Lord willing, we are going to be talking about Mark chapter 11. Jesus is going to have his entrance into Jerusalem. We call that the triumphal entrance. And we'll see some people uh, going out and crying out Hosanna 
We'll also Jesus see Jesus enter into the temple and um, he'll kind of ransack and go through the temple because of some of the sin that's going on there. And then uh, we'll end with talking about Jesus's authority and uh, the, specifically the Pharisees questioning that. So Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast today, please subscribe, rate, review. That'll help us to reach more people. Um, for more information, uh, reach out to us. If you'd like to study more, um, contact us at 717-585-0949 or email at capitalcitychristians.com. Uh, for more information, check us out on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening today.